0: Today we are going to be going over the Torah reading called uh, Vayigash, and Vayigash covers uh, Genesis chapter 44, verse 18, goes through uh, chapter 47, verse 27. And uh, Vayigash means, uh, and he approached. As a better reminder, if you're looking for any of the previous studies that we've done on this, over a long period of time, you can find them at halal.info uh, slash p, like parasha, p11. So, halal.info slash p11. So, moving on from there, I'm just a brief highlights of what these sections that we're looking at are, uh, Genesis chapter 44, verse 18 through 45, chapter 45, is you basically you could sum it up as Yehuda or Judah. Uh, repents and then yosef reveals reveals himself we've been building up to this point for several chapters here and this is a long progression of a revealing a concealing revealing and reconciliation so we see also genesis 46 that yaakov then goes down to Mizraim and reunites with his son yosef Then chapter 47, the first part of it that we're taking a look at here today, covers uh, Yosef presenting his family to Pharaoh and the vanquishing of the famine and putting all of Mitzrayim under this ownership of Pharaoh. So they are then taxed uh, one-fifth, which 20%, which we think today, wow, 20%? That would be great. Do you think here in, in uh, California, it's uh, depending on which bracket you're in, it's roughly around 10% and go up a little bit higher than that. And then you tack on your um, federal taxes and you could be around 50 or greater percent among just those, not to mention all the other taxes that are piled on top of that property taxes, which are um, supposedly for the counties, but then go also up to the state as well. And then all the sales taxes and uh, vehicle taxes and taxes upon taxes, plus the taxes for everything you buy has already been taxed. So uh, those are all factored into the things that you buy. So the things you buy are more expensive because they've been taxed. So uh, they are not in the realm of uh, being uh, altruistic in the sense of that they'll eat all the taxes. So wherever you buy anything, services, goods, whatever, they've already Put those taxes into it as well. So you're thinking, "Wow, (laughs) twenty percent—that would be—that would be fantastic if that was the extent of it." But you saw also what they had to give up. But there was also that sense that there was a, in a sense, the the quid pro quo—you are giving something and you're getting something. Well, what were they giving up? Pretty much everything. They're pretty much giving up everything, and as it. talks about becoming slaves, becoming servants to Pharaoh. And in exchange for that, you are getting what? Food. Food when there is none. And food that exists because the god of these people who have come in from another country, one of your vassal states, because remember at that time Canaan was Basically, almost like a vassal state of of Mitzrayim, and kind of fought over between um, Mitzrayim or Egypt and the Hittite Empire up which in modern day Turkey. So between the Hittites Empire and the Egyptian Mitzrayim Empire, they kind of fought back and forth. In the middle of it, in the land of Canaan, which was kind of an interesting backdrop to what you see going on. We saw a little bit earlier. With when um, Avraham was doing some negotiations for burial sites, they they talk about the sons of Chet. Now, not exactly sure if those are the the same Chet as in the the Hittites, because that's translated from a similar word. But you get that idea that there was a bit of a changing of ownership back and forth in the what we now call the Promised Land, the Holy Land was being fought back and forth. But the reason why there was any sort of um, security in the land and in Mitzrayim was because the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, had favor on Pharaoh and Pharaoh's household and also in the process uh, likely consolidated Mitzrayim into a single kingdom. Because you know, if you look into egyptian history much it was a divided kingdom a divided kingdom of the upper nile which is south because they now fly the the nile flows north to the mediterranean so the upper nile which is in the south and the lower nile which is in the north and at some points there was even one right smack dab in the middle So sometimes three kingdoms going on at the same time, which makes Egyptian chronology quite (laughs) challenging because you had a lot of overlapping dynasties at the same time. So that poses a problem when you try to reconcile um, Egyptian chronologies with Babylonian chronologies, which are uh, going at about the same time, or the ones from Mesopotamia. So that is all going on in the backdrop of what is happening. So you see that the Creator of heaven and earth is acting in the midst of superpowers and jostling with each other for superiority, but also a superpower that was brought to its knees, as Mitzrayim would have been toast had it not been for the Creator of heaven and earth to come in to give this vision to Pharaoh to scare pharaoh to death and then come in with (laughs) come out from prison a one of the prisoners to bring out from a foreign so (laughs) coming to testify to pharaoh was a prisoner from a foreign country was brought in to then reveal to him what this thing was and also you get the the picture that pharaoh was also given a a little glimpse that this indeed was the correct interpretation of it, correct interpretation of this particular dream, was that this is what was coming. And it is a very interesting revelation that Pharaoh was given just enough faith to say, hey, I'm going to reorder all of, all of uh, this country and up, do a massive upheaval of things based on what is going to be coming you know, several years ahead. So you think of the mobilizations that have happened in this particular country when there was a major threat that was coming. We've had a similar thing here uh, recently talking about mobilizations of things, but you think back in the time of, or probably read about the mobilization for World War II where there was a massive increase in industrialization people throwing all kinds of resources people were putting all of their uh, they're buying war bonds and things to throw their resources behind this common threat so what is that kind of an effort that is an effort of faith because especially if you're dealing with something now with world war ii and that normalization that was a threat that was obvious because you you get the reports of uh, what was happening over in europe and then we had our own happening here that we just commemorated this past week or this week actually on december 7th with the attack on pearl harbor so this was a real threat a pretty obvious threat you see pictures of it uh, flames and even here along the west coast there was even actual bombs dropped on the land not just in the Hawaii, but also in, up in Oregon, <laughs> they were bombing a forest. But um, there was an obvious threat. But here we have a threat that was coming. But it was a threat that was perceived as serious. And also, the vision was given to Pharaoh to do something about it. That this was enough of a serious thing to, hey, throw all of the resources of the country behind dealing with it so just a, a couple of highlights that um, to take a look at here uh, this is a particular study that we did just last year on actually earlier this year just the way the the Torah cycle worked out is we did this last one in January but uh, here we're coming around on at the cycle again here in December so this is what we did on this particular passage uh, earlier this year And one of the key things that we had seen in this one, if you look forward along the list of various studies that says, Joseph and Jesus teach how to heal relationships for a better family and planet. So one of the things that we had taken a look at was the parallel between Yosef and Yeshua, Yosef and his brothers, and also that emotional journey that Yosef took in reconciling with his brothers. And we've seen that there was also a parallel between that with uh, Yeshua and how he was reconciling with his brothers, with Israel. Now, just as a quick recap of the highlight of that particular study, it's a really important one because it gets to something that we deal with on a regular basis. We have something that the Messiah put forward in, in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 18. Matthew chapter 18, he gives us this several step process that we go through in reconciling, dealing with disputes, etc. So, one of the long uh, reconciliation processes that Yosef goes through is really a case study on how relationships can go off the rails and then also get put back on track again. And One of the particular ways that the relationships are mended is with truth, justice, repentance, and forgiveness. Truth, justice, repentance, and forgiveness. On the truth side, one of the key things about truth is that there is something that is right and there is something that is wrong. You have to have that. You have to have the fact that there is truth because if there is no truth, then your relationships can just blop about and the relationships not just only between people, but between uh, people and other communities of people, we call them nations, and then between humankind and heaven, can it's like, well, what is the relationship? If there are no truths that are there, these things are right, these things are wrong. Because if there are no truths, then how do you know that your relationship has really gone off track? And you can see what happens with relationships when people stop remembering that there are things that are true about a relationship and things that are false. Now, when you just talk about in the realm of contracts, that's when things get, um, you could say, more specific. And with partnerships, with business partnerships, you know, I've talked with attorneys about that, deal with business partnerships a lot. And they said the number one reason why business partnerships blow up is they don't spell out what is true, what is false. Basically the parameters, you are responsible for this and I'm responsible for this. You are, you are going to do this when this part happens in the business and I'm going to do this. Well, if you don't spell any of that stuff out, and that's fine when the money is rolling in like crazy, but what happens when people need to start contributing to the business because the business needs help or contributing to the growth of the business? Well, who's responsible for that? Well, if you never spell those things out at the beginning, then people start fighting, and then they start uh being creative with (laughs) what the agreement actually was at the beginning you know they call those uh, uh lies in court and such falsehoods so those things start flying back and forth and charges of fraud and and those things start going back and forth like crazy well in business also in life because if you don't spell those things out in a relationship you think of like a marriage if you're not really spelling things out and talking about what it is that's what roles you play what sort of direction you're going to take then people start getting upset because well you're not fulfilling you're not doing well you never talked about it So those truths were never established. So you don't know if you're going the right way, going the wrong way, until suddenly you start realizing, uh oh, this person is getting mad because I didn't go the right way. Well, you never talked about what the right way was going to be on this particular thing. And then so if you're going the wrong way from things that have been established, well, what do you do about it? And that's where justice comes in. So And you have a relationship to actually then say, okay, there are wrongs that have happened in this situation. Things have gone wrong. To actually say, okay, they've gone wrong. I've gone wrong. I did wrong things. Or having to call someone else to account say, okay, this has gone wrong uh, from your side of the equation. Okay, so then you spell out the things have gone wrong. Then what do you do about it? Well, one side, if you want to mend the relationship, has to have some sort of, well, that's not going to happen again. The repentance, and especially you see (laughs) that it's uh, spelled out throughout the Torah and also Yohanan there by the Yarden River was saying, hey, to these people who are coming down to the immersed, saying, hey, bear the fruits of repentance. And it said that he was preaching the, the repentance or the forgiveness of sins. So you repent, you turn around, then the wrong that was done is covered over or forgive or sent away. And thus you have this relationship that is starting to be on the mend. But one of the things that is Should be known both on the side of those who are wronged and the one who did the wrong is that they have caused pain and then that pain is going to linger on. Because sometimes people get this idea of, you know, forgive and forget and then suddenly all the pain goes away. Well, no. We see lots of examples that pain does not go away. Now we can choose to look over the pain, but. Pain still lingers. We see an example of that with uh, the King David's repentance when he repented of the great, <laughs> the great multi-layered uh, <laughs> wrong that he did there, of of both adultery and also the murder.
1: Yeah, that there was pain. There was the pain of. A innocent party, the child, because of this, died.
0: That was pain that lingered on. So that's one of the key things about repentance is to realize that you have caused pain and that the person that is going to be forgiving realizes, yes, there's pain that's been caused, but now what are you going to do about it? Which then calls on to the forgiveness side. Yes.
2: (laughs) Where the citation just gave. and since uh, Bathsheba was the granddaughter of David's key military advisor at the time, and who then later, you know, worked against him, fought against David with with, with Absalom, joined Absalom's side. It shows that the so so David committed the wrong, he admitted that there were wrong situations. And David could say, Okay, I'm not gonna happen again, but the forgiveness put of all well, God will forgive you but humans have to forgive. In this instance, of course, David's uh, advisor chose not to forgive and in fact worked against in order to conspire to destroy and to kill him. So it's a a process in which you can go through any one of those steps, but until you finish all four of them, you didn't didn't accomplish what you were after. You had to finish all four of them and get through the last one. If you skip any one of them, you failed. Because jumping from truth to forgiveness without going through just repentance is a joke. You didn't actually forgive anything. Because it still will stay with you. You'll still remember it. You'll, it's a whole bury the hatchet, with the hand sticking out, right? the whole old song. With the hatchet, but the hair will still stick it out. You can pull it out again to, to whack the other person. And because you didn't truly go through the, 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 the justice, but the repentance process. If you miss any of those steps, you failed at it. it you have to go back and do it again.
0: Yeah, and also we look at this from the standpoint of our relationship with heaven. When you get down to that forgiveness stage, that forgiveness where you're not going to recall it anymore, it is not brought to mind. And God gives an example of how that forgiveness works in that uh, we have it in the New Covenant prophecy that we find in Jeremiah 31. So that New Covenant prophecy is that the iniquities would be remembered no more. And that was a key part of knowing who the Lord really is, a part of the Lord's character revealed back to Moshe up on the mountain about forgiving down to many generations. So this is a key leading part of what heaven's, Example for us is in this reconciliation between not just people, but also between people and heaven in the process. So another reminder that uh, we have here, we did a study back in uh, last year called, uh, we will recognize our Jewish Messiah. Uh, Will we recognize our Jewish Messiah when he turns? And we've talked a lot through the past several chapters here in Genesis about how there is this concealing of who Yosef was to his brothers. And that is a picture going forward of, will Messiah really be recognized by his brothers? And we see that what's recorded in the Gospels is um, there was a large not-recognition of who Yeshua was. And that lack of recognition continues on to this day both from those we call in general uh, Judaism, saying, well, this Jesus we hear about is all about doing away with the law. Then on a lot of our brothers and sisters in the body of Messiah will say, well, Jesus came to do away with the law. So there we have a, a, a big problem with who Yeshua actually is. And we see that a big part of the day of the Lord is going to be, especially as it's revealed there in Revelation, that a big part of that is going to be uh, the, you see it there in Revelation chapter 13, where it's, you have the revelation that goes out into all the world. Remember the Creator. Remember the Creator of heaven and earth. And a big part of that is to actually remember who it is, that created heaven and earth. And sadly, even in the people of God, that is becoming more of a challenging position to take. That God actually did create heaven and earth. That's not even as much of a given as it used to be in times past. So one of the other things, the last reminder of uh, some of the things that we've touched on in this particular passage or we get to where the meat of where we're going here today is. We did this back in 2018. So you can find that at halal.info slash vayigash-2018. And one of the key parts of this lesson there of if you want God's mercy and love, have mercy and love for others. So we've seen that with the four levels of the reconciliation process that this is something that Yeshua hit on in the Gospels when he said if you want God to forgive you you do what you forgive other people and if you don't forgive other people and then you come to God to be forgiven what is the lesson there from the Gospels Yes." that God is not going to forgive you unless you forgive other people. And even in that lesson there from Matthew 18, it's like if you are coming to offer a peace offering, meaning that's a peace offering is what we learn from the Torah, is that things have been reconciled between heaven and earth. And you come to offer that, but you haven't fixed the relationship with other people. They're like, no. The message there from the Messiah is you leave that there at the altar, meaning stop. Don't go forward with this because you need to take care of the other part of the equation. You know, you're there with your offering, with the love of God, with all your heart, soul, and strength. But then the other part of that has to be love your neighbor as you love yourself. That other part of the equation needs to be taken care of when you're Bringing your offering in. Because one thing that we talk about every time we go through the Torah, and especially as we get into Leviticus, is that this is a part of the pattern, the type, the shadow that Moshe was shown upon the mountain. These are representations, they are rehearsals of the things that are going on in heaven. And that is one of the key lessons that you get out of the letter to the Hebrews, which really is a a great distillation of all the prophets and the Torah about what the tabernacle, what all that was really about. Because if you treat the tabernacle and the things that go on there as an idol, that they are something in and of themselves, then you get the reaction that you see in the prophets, like in Isaiah chapter 1 where he says, you know, I hate your feasts. You know, you see in Psalm 51, where David is saying, you know, these offerings, you don't desire.
1: But he says, yes, I do desire them in the Torah.
0: But what is the problem? The problem is what you see in Psalm 51 and in the rest of Isaiah and in the other prophets, that there is a breakdown in the relationship between people and between people and heaven. Because you see that in several places, like examples like Isaiah 58, where it's talking about the topic is around uh, Yom Kippur and fasting. It's like, well, don't come there fasting when you are treating other people reprehensibly and you are not looking after the needs of people. When the most vulnerable people in society, you (laughs) are
1: oppressing, ignoring. And
0: then you are fasting, because remember from Leviticus 16, it's about that you are to humble yourself. Humble yourself, because what is going on while you're humbling yourself on Yom Kippur?
1: The high priest
0: is. Working through this picture of the covering over the sins, transgressions, and iniquities. As one thing to remember is that what part of the
1: tabernacle process deals with iniquity
0: is Yom Kippur. That's where iniquity, the outright part of that, because other parts of the tabernacle process aren't going to deal with that, so thus the healing of the relationship, the healing of the relationship that goes on, is important between people, and as a part of your relationship with heaven, because what was the one, <laughs> what was the uh, the one picture that you see uh, Messiah give?
1: If you cannot love the one you can see, what?
0: How can you love the one you can't see? So we see that as a particular warning that we can approach God with all kinds of religiosity, but if there is no change in life, and the way that we deal with other people, then that connection to heaven is broken. And we see lots of examples in Scripture as to the fact that heaven is going to say, "Um, we're going to have to hit the pause button on this relationship between, between us, because the way you're living your life seems to say that things are not okay between heaven and earth.
1: Diane or Lee, did you have a comment or a question?
3: Yes, Jeff, it's it's Diane. There's a couple of things that come to mind as we're talking about having forgiveness. And that, you know, no matter, a couple of things. First of all, the night that when Jesus, or when he washed the disciples' feet, and that he washed Judas Iscariot's feet too, and he knew that he was an enemy with unconditional love. And that was What a wonderful example. The other thing that comes to mind as we discuss this, a lot of people, I'm not trying to, but there are people in the, in the body of, of Yeshua, people who think, well, I'm not going to uh, forgive him or her because they're not going do to this, do this, that, and the other. It doesn't matter. It matters about our walk before Almighty God. And that was what something God used in me uh, to impress in me so that I could turn around and help somebody else. I said, it doesn't matter what they're doing. Yes, it hurts if that other person does not acknowledge you. And I said, there will be people. You can say your forgiveness and mean it till you're blue in the face and with all great sincerity. And that other person may never say another word. Is it right that they don't say anything? No, it's not. If they are a brother and sister in Christ, they're supposed to have Yeshua in their heart and ha- having that they should be able to turn around and acknowledge for, you know, acknowledge and that, but if they don't, I said, just make sure your relationship with, with the Lord is straight and that you are having that loving, forgiving heart. Is it always easy? No, because some things take longer. It seems to, you know, be, To forgive. Other things are so easy, it seems, to forgive, but I said you can't, um, they might, uh, but if you just keep on, you know, with the Lord, he knows, he sees the motive of your heart to begin with, and that, and it's like, just keep trusting in him ask him to put that love and forgiveness there read his word that's what will change you but it all but that's easier said than done sometimes but there's a lot of people there's somebody i'm waiting for them to acknowledge me and that person has never done that what a shame because that person is missing out on a great blessing and that and but it does not affect i'm not i did in the beginning let it affect my walk and God said, "You can't do that. You want to serve me, and you want to give out my word. Do this, that, and the other. Your way needs to be free before me. Otherwise, your prayers are being short-circuited like an electrical plug that, you know, doesn't work. It's a faulty electrical, you know, plug or outlet. Anyway, <laughs> thank you.
0: Hmm. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, that's an important uh, consideration. But you know, one of the things that it's always good to remember the when." you're going through and, and reconciling with, with people is that um, it can sometimes get it into our, into our minds that we are the ones who've been wronged, but we have to be really honest with the fact that we may have been the ones to wrong somebody else. And one of the things is to always to watch out for is the martyr complex. Because I've had some people in my extended family that have really had challenges with the martyr complex in that they think that they've been yeah. wronged by everybody and not realizing that there are a lot of damaged relationships within the family. And, uh, those need to be addressed. So that's always a, th- so thank, thank you for yeah. that, Diane. It's always a good to watch out for that.
2: Yeah. Amen. Uh, Daniel, did you have a comment or a question? I've run across this in, in my family a number of times, and in particular in my own personal life, is that uh, someone wronged me or whatever, and I completely forgot about it, as in I don't remember it anymore, uh, or, or or and they don't remember it either, or it's because it's, it's it's the short term, you know, it came and went and moved on. I'm not sure where that falls in that forgiveness category, if you don't remember it, is anything to forgive? I don't know. Because um, I ran across that. I actually had, had an appointment earlier um, uh, uh, this week for my knee. And uh, the, 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 the doctor was looking at it, and she was relaying. She has many kids' children as well. And they came back and said, well, they're much older now. They're, they're grown, most were grown adults. You well, know, mom or dad, you did this XYZ thing, and you, you treat us this way or that way. And she looks at me and I don't remember any of it. I have no clue. It, 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 it's, there's zero memory of it at all. I have no clue what they're talking about. So I just say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I did something that made you feel this. I would never want to do blah, blah. The whole, you know, asking for forgiveness is great. No, but there's zero memory of it. And so sometimes, like, okay, I run across that. Oh, how often have I offended someone and have no clue I did it? Because I don't remember it at all. Uh, or vice versa. They refer to me and they have actually no memory of it whatsoever or remember it completely different in every imaginable way. Um, it's, okay, those, those, those are, are real things that I think in, in, in my personal instance, um, when, when I, don't, I don't remember it anymore, um, I forget to acknowledge that it happened because I, no, I don't remember it. Uh, or, or acknowledge that I did something, I don't remember it. They're upset, they're angry, they're this or that, whatever. And I have no clue to say anything because I don't remember it at all. And I'll be honest, the most things I don't remember because I, I, I've been raised from a childhood onward, whatever you do, the whole forgive and forget thing has been drilled in us so quickly that we forget what we did yesterday. <laughs> There's all our, most of my siblings have no clue what happened yesterday, the day before, it's what's in front of us is all that we care about. Um, and that's, it's kind of a, 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 it's just a way, a way of life and been doing it my whole life. And I don't remember things past, but I, I do, I do have to trust. Okay. If, if I can't remember it, I can't ask for forgiveness for it or, 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 anything, or even ask me else to forgive for, for, for me to forgive them. Cause I don't remember it either. It's it basically a basic question. All right. Well, who keeps the record? I mean, if I don't remember it, and it doesn't come into memory for anybody, and no one brings it up to me, I don't have the record for it. I don't know what to say about it. Um, God keeps a record, of course, but he also says, hey, he'll, he'll erase the records. And so I've, I've, my mother has done this for many years. She's getting much older. Her memory is not nearly as good as it once was. It's getting worse and worse as time goes on. She's forgetting more and more things. And because they, they aren't relevant to her. If, don't, don't, if they don't remember it, she's not going to think about it. And uh, some people have come to her and say, well, what about the XYZ thing happened umpteen years ago? I was like, what? I don't remember that at all. And Did it actually happen? I don't know. And she, and people who, who even offended her at times, she forgets that they offended her. Uh, and she can't remember why they were offensive or why, what, was, what, what had happened. And those instances, I had to trust, or I, have, I have always trusted, I could be wrong, but I've always trusted that if I can't remember it, I've already forgiven it, I don't remember it, I have nothing else to do with that. I, I don't remember it, it's out of my, ma- out of my mind. And if, and if they can't remember it, then they've already forgiven it, because it was so unimportant, it meant nothing to them. And I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but that's how I live my life for my whole existence. And it's worked thus far, I think. If I've offended people, I don't know about it, sorry. (laughs) But (laughs) I don't remember it. Uh, It's an interesting conundrum because we are finite people. We don't have permanent records of everything. And so I can't remember all the details or all the rules uh, or things that I did right or wrong. Um, And it it makes my life very peaceful because I don't carry anything. But... It's not so peaceful for other people because some people have good memories and remember everything because they make an emotional marker in their, in their minds or a psyche. I don't know how it works. And they remember all these details and they can hold those grudges or upsetness for decades and it can make them even sick in the process of of all the stress they put onto them. And I don't know what to do about those, those because I want to cause those people individually, occasionally who have held on to stress or, unforgiveness for decades and they have these various health problems, not, not say a direct cause, but I think as a influential factor of all the stress somebody holds on or upset and has held on for many years, I'm not saying the only thing, but it's one of the components. Well, how do you, how do I, how do I address that? And okay. How do you walk the person past those things past the things? Okay. Whoever offended you has long since forgotten or, or is even dead. And they died how many years ago. They can't do anything about it anyway. And you held on to stress for so many years and it accomplished your failing health. And that's about it. How do, how do you walk a person through? Because I can't relate to them because I forget mine. I can't relate to them on what they're going through. You know what I mean? But some people can, right? I'm not sure. How 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 would you walk someone through that process?
0: Yeah, that that is a is a very interesting one uh, uh, something that might may help with that particular one, just uh, first off, uh Diane Lee did you have a comment or something?
3: Many years ago, I loved my dad and I respected him. He is no longer alive. He was a great man in his own right, you know, and that and uh, there were some things and so one day I just pretended I put another chair in front of me. I know how this might sound trite, and that and I and I pretended that he was there. It was just something the way I did it. We, we all, and I sat down and uh, I prayed and I, and I said, Father, I love you. I prayed. I said, Father, I love you and I forgive you. And that, and God put a great, wonderful love and peace in my heart. That helped me. And the other thing I, people, there's been a couple of people over my walk for the last several decades that have come and said, um, I'm sorry I offended you and I don't remember what it was and I'll say I don't know what it was but Jesus loves you and I love you and there's only love and uh, and forgiveness in my heart I have no hold nothing and that frees them and that and and there's been a couple of times where I have been offensive I mean I why well, try to you know and that and I've gone to some other people and that, because I want my way free and clear before the Lord. I'm not perfect, and we're all flawed. All we all know that we're all we all have flaws. Some of us, like Diane, have more flaws than others. But I'm just, but I'm just saying. I said um, I I I said I'm very sorry for what I said or did, and I said I I've asked the Lord to forgive me, and I pray that you will too. I've gone to the Lord over it, and that, and they don't remember. And that, and it's so, that's okay. But I then have more of a peace in my heart, uh, uh, the Lord's peace, Jesus's, you know, Yeshua's peace. And it helps me. But I'm not saying that that's a formula for it. But I, I just know that the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And um, God says he would guide us into all truth. And I believe because we have God in the form of the Holy Spirit inside of us, I believe he can show us whatever we need to know. I mean, and that uh, of course it's all when he chooses to do that, not on my timetable. I don't know if that made sense, but that frees me up in the Lord, and that even if I don't remember what they said or did, I want them to know I love the Lord, I love them, and I make it known to them. So and that because I think for me it it's wrong, for me it's a sin to not acknowledge that person and that i don't want to live with that and uh even if they don't if i don't remember what it was and that i i i just i love you and whatever it was there's his love the lord's love and forgiveness and we come together in christ we pray and, you know, it's, it's wonderful in that. And it brings unity in the body, which brings the, uh, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I know we all want that.
0: Oh, no, thank you very much. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things that I was thinking about as uh, Daniel was, was talking is we had talked about Matthew 18 earlier. And one of the key things it mentions in verse 15 where it talks about if your brother sins, you go and show him his fault in private And if he listens to you have won your brother and that one there is about you have profited or you have gained, you have uh, basically you have earned your brother. So in the sense of, you know, this is not the one-upmanship, the aha, I got something on you. This is that you have added to, you know, your relationship and also the, the people of God, your brother. And one of the things that you also get from Proverbs is, is that a wise man accepts correction. So, are we people that you know, freely make it known, hey, uh, we are correctable? And yeah, I, I know that's, that's something that I, I struggle with a lot is the, to actually accept correction and to see correction. As a good thing, because I was at the fight against the thing of trying to overcome this feeling that if I admit any sort of problems or failing or this or that, or the other, then the anvil will come down and I will have revealed a weakness, and then people will go right in for the jugular and take me down. So I always war against that, that show no weakness. Well, then you are not really letting yourself open to grow. And you are also not really making it known that, hey, if there is a problem, you can fix it and that you're willing to then rebuild a bridge that you yourself have burned down. So that's, uh, yes. And you have yeah, a comment or a question? Humble yourself, and
2: the Lord will lift you up. Yes, humble and yourself. You'll be exalted, exalted even, not yes. only just lifted up. So.
0: Yes, and the Apostle Yaakov in, the, in his letter of James the, makes a very important observation in that regard because he's making that observation in the sense of um, the humble person controls a tongue because a big part of that letter is about controlling your tongue and what is a big part of controlling your tongue a big part of controlling your tongue is to realize that the words that go out of your mouth can injure and damage other people that thing we talked about earlier about realizing things are true and things are false well realizing that it is true that what comes out of your mouth can destroy other people even you know in the sense that you may not have intended it that those words may have gone out and injured someone else. Now, we deal with one of the uh, interesting, you could say maybe boomerang issues in society today is that you have the problem of people will take offense at everything. Everything is an offense today. Everything is an offense. Now, Thus, you have a dilemma. On the one side, you have to be really careful about the things that you say that can injure people. But on the other side, everything is not an injury to you. Well, you have to then bring those things and reconcile them together to say, what is it that is uh, said, and what is the impact of that? So those are the, the two things we talked about earlier, about the tr- what is true, what is false. To say, on your side, the one who may have said something, what I said may have injured somebody else. But the other side of it is, did you intend to injure, or was it taken in a different way than it was intended? So both of those things have to be weighed together. Uh, Diane, did you have uh, say something?
3: No, I was just thinking about where it says in the scriptures about our words need to be salted with with God's salt. Now that's a real open (laughs) paraphrase, but where His word is, and sometimes when we're speaking the word to another person. And that things come to mind, like iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend, and and that, and we're sh- keeping each other sharpened, and that, and through the saltiness of God's word, well, salt is a purifier, right? And um, sometimes people don't want that salt, and that no matter how Holy Spirit-directed, oriented it is, and that, and um, and... And uh, it can be, uh, and a lot of people will say, say something, and then they'll turn right around and say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. But what God showed me, and I would, if anyone differs from what I think, I invite that uh, loving criticism, you know, loving correction from the Lord, is that, okay, the Bible talks about what's in your heart comes up out of your mouth. That's something else. And if that's coming up out of your heart, that's a person's heart, then that's another thing to consider, too. Like you said, to your point about, did they really mean it? Somebody will say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. And I sometimes have thought, didn't you? I don't say anything, but I thought, didn't you? Because that came out of your heart. And God says, what's in the heart comes up out of the mouth.
0: Yeah. One, one, uh, you, you bring up a very interesting point, and one thing that is also very important to to consider here is that when you talk about in intend to say intend to say something or write something or communicate something to also take a look at well maybe you took it as the wrong sort of intent so one of the there are, there are some people as you say that may may think or speak before they think so is it really something that is coming out of some sort of deep hatred or is it just something that they were verbally thinking about and just spouted it out there without thinking about how it was going to be received or thinking about perhaps processing the you know well what was that something actually good to uh, to come out with um i uh, i sometimes have the, the opposite issue of uh, thinking about something too long before I speak. And so people think that uh, I'm just not wanting to say anything about it, but I am thinking about it far too much before I speak. So that's always a challenge on sometimes my hand to, to, to get it out. you know. But I have the problem with speaking as, as with writing, as I think about things far too long before getting them out. And uh, that can pose a challenge if you're trying to communicate on deadline to uh, finally at point, one point say, uh, I'm going to stop thinking about it. I now have to start communicating here. So that is, that is a huge challenge, but <laughs> yes. Yes. When you talk about, you know, uh, get your mouth going before your brain's engaged. Well, That is a very interesting thing because you get that uh that that interesting picture that you have in Ecclesiastes chapter five. And it's one of those things when you go into the house of Lord, you know, in so many words, you know, think before you speak, don't come in there with lots and lots of words. So one of those things you get is well, are you saying that you just don't communicate your heart to God? What you see in that picture, especially in the whole context of Ecclesiastes and the whole context of Ecclesiastes is, is, you know, we and ourselves are nothing unless the Lord actually brings some meaning to us. That's why you see at the end of it is like, what is the real meaning of life is to basically find out what God wants us to do, the commandments, and then do that. Because all the other kinds of pursuits um, in life don't really amount to much because we build ourselves up and then we're gone. And they may pass on to the next generation, they may not. But what really persists from one generation to the next? And that's actually part of what we're going to be talking about here for the rest of our time today. But it also does relate to the communications that we have among other people. And something that we have to really keep in mind. So as we continue on with this uh, further, and just lastly close out with a uh, reminder, of something that we talked about in this particular passage, uh, Vayigosh Dash Twenty Seventeen. Oh, I'm sorry, Pat. Go ahead. You have your hand up.
3: Yeah, I did. Uh, I was going to say, besides what we say to people, people here with filters based on things
1: from their childhood, their, you know, not only their own
3: childhood, but culture. Because yes. people Frame of mind. Somebody cultures. says, yeah. Yeah. And so you may be saying one thing and meaning it one way and they're <laughs> yes. it and totally different.
0: <laughs> yes. And someone may take it to be uh, to- totally different. So that's one of those things about with a personal personal uh, connections that we have with each other that if we think something was said that was hurtful well we should just follow up and say what did you mean by that?" Because I, I know that's something that i've i've tried to train myself to do if i th- assume that someone is saying something and before i attack i just ask well what did you
2: mean by that so um it, it, regarding that topic that i brought up too. Uh, one of the interesting things is that um, I have a relationship with you, you, you and I do. I have one with your wife, I have one with Anne, one with Rose, one with Pat, one with Larry, one with, one with, with Pat over here too. Pat Goss. I know the person they know me. And one of the things that I run across, that I, and, I, and I also have individual relationships with people at my work, my coworkers. There's There are different relationships with each person. I know them well enough, and they know me well enough, to know general intent. Where, where, where problems arise, I think, it could be just my personal perspective, I also could be dead wrong too, is that uh, individuals who I don't know, or don't know me, come words off my mouth, like, oh, and they're, they're offended by it, because they don't know me, and I don't have a working relationship with them, or even a cursory acquaintance with them, and they, whatever the case may be. I mean, for example, the, 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 the phrase now, you're not supposed to say anymore, uh, uh, What's, that? Uh, uh, oh, what's that? more than one way to skin a cat, right? The phrase, it's, it means you can do things multiple ways. Well, you can't sit anymore because it's offensive to animals and people who believe they are animals in some instances. So, it, 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 okay, well, that person doesn't know me, and I don't know them. They, but if they know me, I'm not intended to be offensive to animals. And, and I'm not offensive to them either. It's not, 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 not of the other sort. I was using a, a, a euphemism or, or a cultural phrase once I reach the swing of the fence, it means you're hitting, you hit the ball as hard as you possibly can, as far as you can reach it. It's a, it's a cultural phrase that is used as an offense, and it's only an offense to someone who wouldn't know the person who's saying it. If someone knows the person who's saying it, I mean, I'm not generally offended to most people who are here. here. I, I, if I do, I apologize. But I, generally, I'm not. And vice versa. I'm not offended by anybody. But I know each of you, and you know me, and I have a relationship that works. In the instance of here, when you have Yosef and Yeshua and, 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 and God and, and Judah, and all of, they are people who, who, who have a relationship with one another. They're, they're, you're working, as you mentioned earlier with Matthew 18, you have a relationship with a person. Okay, you've, you've, you've done something that's offensive to me, and I know you, and you know me, and I know that it was, in fact, offensive. It wasn't like an offhanded, as Rose and I play, play the same problem, speak for you think. Um, it's not usually, uh, it's not because we, we speak real quick and think much, much later. And, and it, it has problems, but it's not intentional to be offensive in any way. But if I speak to a person who knows me and, they, and I know them, they know my intent already. And I'm not trying to be offensive at all. So it's difficult in the, when we mentioned the fact that people are offended, and not everybody, mind you, but certain interests in our culture, offended by every little thing you say, think, or do. Um, it makes it very difficult to be with someone who you don't know. It makes, it makes, in my instance, it makes me want to talk to them. I don't already know you. I will not strike up a relationship with you unless I'm forced to. Um, it, it, it's, just, it's easier to say, hey, I don't know you well enough because I may be offensive to you, my, my, my way of life, the way I speak, whatever. I don't want to be offensive to you. I'll just avoid you completely. And that happens, I think, as a result, I, I think at least, for some of us, some people, it results in a, a narrower worldview, a, a narrower people who you, your group, it, it keeps it small instead of allowing it to grow and expand, which was not God's really intent. His goal was to allow you to expand, to get to know other people and stretch out as opposed to be contracted. But uh, being offensive to people who don't know me, it makes me not want to interact with anybody else. It, it, it's, it's not, I'm not saying it's right, it's just, it's just my instinctive reaction. Yeah well, you, you do bring up a very interesting
0: point that um, is always good to remember about when we say the, the second greatest commandment, they're found in the Leviticus 1918, you know, we always quote it as, you, "You will love your neighbor as yourself." But the important part is the beginning part of that verse, where it says, "You will not bear a grudge against your neighbor." And when you read up earlier in the passage about uh, also you know, pointing out the, the foibles of someone else, kind of like what you see in Matthew chapter 18. But it is also the issue is you will not bear a grudge. You will not carry this thing that someone has with you. Why? Because you don't want someone to bear a grudge against you and carry it around and take it out on you and the, quote, passive-aggressive or however even overtly aggressive ways that they may take it out on you. So if you don't want people to do that with you, then you don't take things and bear it along. You do what? You go through the process of getting rid of it, which is why Messiah you know, points out a process that's simple yet hard, hard for us to get over that, both with ourselves and with the people that
1: are involved with this. Oh,
0: yes, Larry. Joseph did not bear a grudge against his,
2: his brothers. And what he did is he looked around for why did this happen? How did God work on this, in this situation rather than what did I do or what did they do? And he said, God sent me down here to save everybody else, which, is, of course, was Messiah's job, too. So. And it was a good way to look at it, I guess. We should stop and think. Well why did this happen? Why did God have this happen? Not why did it happen to me,
3: but why did God have this happen?
0: Yeah, and that is a very important aspect to look at is that there might be something bigger going on. And that's why you see in Paul's letters where he talks about, you know, that things work together for the good. And it you may not actually see that. For a long period of time, what that good is. And which actually brings us to where we're going next here. Um, we talked uh, last time around um, in this last passage at the beginning of this, of this year about the parallel passage, or otherwise known as the Haftarah, for Vayigash, which is found in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 15 through 28. So, We've talked about that on previous occasions. You'll find that at like halal.info uh, slash Vaigash two, 2017. But the simple summing up of that part is about the need to be born again, because uh, in this passage is the prophecy of the two sticks. You have a stick of Ephraim and a stick for Yehuda, and they are both brought together in the hand of the Lord which is important to think about because remember the prophet ezekiel is a you could say a bridge prophet between before exile and after exile so he was bridging this this period warning the leaders uh specifically talking about the northern kingdom but warning them hey this is coming this this exile is coming and then after it comes then saying hey okay, this is why it happened, and this is the road back. And as you get into the later chapters, the last chapters of Ezekiel, you say, okay, what does the reunited house of God actually look like? And so this prophecy of the, the two sticks coming together, I mean, you think about that kind of a promise from a prophet saying, hey, these two separate kingdoms are going to be brought together, but brought together in the Lord's hand. So the Lord is going to be the one that brings them back together. And the other key point of this particular passage is, is that the brought together by a particular king, a particular king like after David. So we see in the, in the letter to Hebrews where it talks about that there will be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So this you're seeing in this passage is a high priest after the, or a king. After the order of David to bring them together, so you see that that promise that you see, like in Second Samuel uh, chapter seven, which is a promise saying that from Shlomo or Solomon was going to be one that would be the eternal king. This eternal um, reign of the kingdom would come down through his line, and then we see that exemplified with the King Messiah being brought into a completion so one of the places that we're going to take a look at is you could say another haftarah parallel reading which is in uh joshua chapter 14 verses 6 through 15 so uh, joshua chapter 14 verses 6 through 15
1: Then the sons of Yehuda
0: drew near to Yehoshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Yephaniah, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moshe, the man of God, concerning you and me at Kadesh Barnea? I was forty years old when Moshe, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back to him. Um, I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moshe swore on that day, saying, Surely the, the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold, The Lord was has let me live just as he spoke these forty five years, from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moshe, when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am eighty five years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moshe sent me, as my strength was then, so my strength is now, for war and for going out and coming in. Now that Give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as he has spoken. So Yehoshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb the son of Yefuna for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Kenazite until this day because he followed the Lord of Israel fully. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiryat Arba for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim when the land had rest from war. Okay. And so actually this uh, continues on um, as the the way the Hebrew um, breaks up it includes also chapter uh, 15, verse 1. Now the lot for the tribe of the sons of Yehuda, according to their families, reached the border of Edom southward to the wilderness of Zin of the extreme south. So, uh, the other parallel reading that we're going to have with this is in Matthew chapter 10. So, Matthew chapter 10. And bring all of these passages here together. Uh, hopefully, you'll start seeing a parallel between what we just saw there in Joshua chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 10.
1: So, Yeshua summoned his twelve
0: disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Shimon, was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, and Yaakov, the son of Zebedee, and Yochanan, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthias, the tax collector, and Yaakov, the son of Alphaeus, and Darius, and Shimon, the zealot, and Yehuda, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Yeshua sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire silver or gold or copper for your money belts or a bag for your money or even two coats or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth of his support. In whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy of it, and say at his house until you and stay at his house until you leave that city, and as you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, Shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as a sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as servants and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the nations. But when, you, when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father is child, and children will rise up against their parents and cause them, and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, or a slave above his master. It is not enough. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they have called you uh, the head of the house, Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, Proclaim upon the housetops, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Do not think, I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me, and he who has found his life uh, will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man uh, in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives To one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water to drink. Truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. When Yeshua had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities.
1: So, with this,
0: just a, a couple of notes. One of the things that we saw with the passage there in joshua chapter 14 is you have this recounting that Caleb is doing now he is as it mentions in the passage he's 85 at this point and he's recalling what happened 45 years before and you see that recorded um, in numbers 13 and 14 this uh, sending out of the i call them spies but you could also call them delegates You could also call them (laughs) maybe um, how do you say apostles, the sent ones, because that's indeed what they were. They were sent to this foreign area. But in the case of the the twelve that were sent in that case in that case and recorded in Numbers thirteen to fourteen, they were sent to observe. Observe the situation around. But it is interesting as you see in the account of what happened when they were sent out. Uh, two of them
1: encounter who?
0: Well, giants. They saw giants in cities and, and brought back large clusters of grapes. But they also encountered
1: who? Remember?
0: Yes, Rahab or Rahab. So in a sense you know you could see them serving as apostles or sent ones again as they were in a sense ambassadors of the kingdom of god to this particular city and they encountered her and she said well yeah i have heard about what the what the lord has done for israel and so what she put her lot in with israel and not in with the people of her own city and her own nation state. Because she saw what? That the legacy of the land was better in the case of going with this nation that was coming in, with Israel that was coming in. And it is quite interesting that you also see that uh, the parallel between this passage here in Joshua chapter 14 with what you see back in the Vaigash proper that we saw earlier was that what was the accusation, this kind of <laughs> somewhat fallacious but sort of, in a sense, prophetic um, pronouncement or accusation that Yosef made against his brothers. He said, well, you are spies. Well, in a sense, they were really. Uh, they were spying out the land of Mitzrayim that was going to be the place where uh, this would be the continuation of this prophecy that went to Avraham much earlier, as it's recorded back and earlier in Genesis, that this nation would sojourn over four centuries. And part of that sojourn would include Mitzrayim. And they would go in and survey the land and say, okay, now is the time to go in. But what was the interesting message back to Yaakov, back to Israel, that this was the time
1: to go in? Ani Yosef. I am Yosef. The favored,
0: the, you could say the prophetic son of Israel was in the land. In the land of where they were going and that is a big encouragement not to mention the famine <laughs> there was a slight detail in the background that they're burning out of food and had no food but egypt had food but it had food because of whom because of Yosef. Yosef had food in the land prepared there for the lord so israel thought He had lost his son, but instead his son was providentially placed in another nation, set up as the prime minister, and then also orchestrated the saving of not only Israel, but also because Israel was there and would be there, Mitzrayim as well. And that Pharaoh, as
1: we see in this particular passage, realized that the
0: blessing was coming upon Mitzreim because of whom? Because of Yosef and because of the people that were coming in. So it's a very interesting picture that we have here, that there would be a follow-up later in Israel's history where they would be going out and looking into the return of the land, the fulfillment of what Avraham was given as a message that they would go and they would return back to the land. But, like Israel saw there in the beginning with Yosef down in Nitzrayim, would they recognize that, hey, the Lord was providing this for them? Because remember, what is the, the message that you kept getting with, in addition to the land flowing with milk
1: and honey? giants
0: but you would go in and what get all the vineyards that you worked so hard to plant and all the houses that you toiled so long to build no you would be going in and getting vineyards you did not plant they were planted there already for you and you would be getting houses that you did not build they were built there for you in other words the Lord had prepared a place for them, and they were going in. But did you trust that that was actually the Lord's provision in the land? Or did you go in and say, big walls, big people, help, help.
1: There's no, there's no hope. Or did you see,
0: like these two here with Caleb that were read back here in, in Joshua 14, and also Yehoshua, that no, this is exactly the Lord's doing. And interestingly enough, that you have Caleb was the delegate from what tribe?
1: Judah. And Yehoshua was the delegate Ephraim. And boy, look who we met up again
0: in Ezekiel. And the kingdoms that were divided up with Ephraim and his brothers Yehuda and his associates there, that this would be a division in there. But in the picture that you see moving forward is just like with Yehoshua and with Kellev, would they both see and trust that the Lord was doing something and make this one place that they would dwell? Not two. Not divided north and south, but be one united people together. And this was the Lord's doing. Similarly, you see Yeshua when he's sending out the 12, and then interestingly, later enough, he sent out the 70. So it's a very interesting picture that 70 went down into Mitzrayim. Of course, you can, um, there's Lots of ways that you can look at the number 70 as being a, a figurative number of a completeness because it even mentions in the passage that there was all kinds of daughters and granddaughters and other people that were not included in the count, but 70 was important to number that there was 70 people who went down. And we've noted in times past that 7 and 10 are very important symbolic numbers, 7 being completeness and 10 being something related to, you could say, judgments, a testimony, you know, like the Ten Commandments. So, either way, you could look at that, that this was being a sure testimony, that this was something that was going to persist on. And that then, quote, 70, unquote, then became a huge number afterward. So, that this, what was started looked like small, looked like insignificant, was going to then become something that would grow into all of the world. And also in the process, bring together and bring in all of the world. Because in this, we're, we were just reading here about the, in, in um, Matthew chapter 10, that this was going out to the lost sheep of Israel. But later on, this would spread out into all of the world. But in the process, the lost sheep of Israel, what did you see in this particular chapter of what would go on in this going into the lost sheep of Israel? You saw that there was a number of interesting characteristics that they were given authority over unclean spirits to cast out demons to preach repentance, meaning turn around. They're going in the wrong direction and anointing and healing the sick. So you could say this basically as a,
1: um, a rescue
0: operation of what was already there. Before, you'd seen that the passage down into Egypt and then back from Egypt into the land later on under the united nation of Israel with the the 12 brothers, that that was more of a moving into territory you weren't there before. But with this going of the 12 apostles going into the land of Israel proper, This was a cleanup operation. A cleanup operation. And interestingly enough, what you see with the cleanup operation was also similar to what you saw with the spies going into the land. Would you trust the one who sent you? Would you trust? And it says, you know, don't take the provisions with you. If you go to a place and they offer the shalom to you, this is basically. Would they be willing to greet a prophet? Are they teachable? Are they a teachable house? Are they a
1: teachable city? If they're not, then
0: it talks about with Sodom and Gomorrah. Very similar. We had just read a few weeks ago about Sodom and Gomorrah. With the first, the bargaining that Avraham did with the representatives of God and saying, "Hey." Could we find even 10 righteous people? And in the end, the representatives of God had to do what to the righteous people who were in the city? Drag them out because they were lingering around. So the mercy of God pulled out, in that sense, you know, <laughs> four and it ended up three that actually made it out of the
1: city, not 10. Four and then
0: three made it out. So, in this sense of what's the mission of the Messiah, is into the internal of the nation and then outside, similar to what we see both with Yosef going down into Mitzrayim and the spies going into the land of Canaan, basically the return of Israel to Canaan after their time apart down in Nisra'im, is, well, what is the land like? What is is the hearts of the people like? Are they ground that is receptive, or are they rejecting? Are they ones that will say, hey, we've heard God's with you, and we will go in that direction? Or is it the response of, we don't
1: want you, drive you off, are you like
0: the Pharaoh that says, hey, the Lord's with him and blessing him, and decided to listen to him when he came up with his crazy idea? Or are you like a later Pharaoh that, it says, did not know Yosef? <laughs> we'll meet that one there in the beginning of part of Exodus, that saw Yosef as, the legacy of Yosef as a, Detriment to society, not an additive to society. So, thus, you see similarly, as it mentions in Matthew chapter 10, you know, they might come after you, but don't worry about what you're going to say. Because basically, what the Lord wants to say to the nations around you is what you'll be given to say. And Sometimes the message is long, sometimes the message is nothing, that you're told nothing to say. And it's interesting when you see later on in the the trials of Messiah, one of those trials was before Herod. Herod was, should have been a, quote, Pharaoh who knew Joseph. But what did he end up being?
1: A pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. And what was the Messiah's message to him? Zip.
0: Nothing. Basically, the message was, well, you have the law and the prophets, kind of paraphrasing the the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You have the law and the prophets. Listen to them. No, we want a trick. We want a light show.
1: We want you to do all those tricks we've been hearing about. So,
0: yeah, you're, you're, just, a, you're just a fox, what the Messiah called, called Herod. So the, the interesting thing is, is that this is, you could say, the, the internal rescue mission inside of Israel. But you ended up with someone who was inside of Israel that ended up being, in a sense, <laughs> It's it's even, uh, genealogically, a foreigner (laughs) that did not know Yosef. But, interestingly, in a sense, Rahab, who was a foreigner, in a sense, did know Yosef in that sense. Knew who was the one behind Yosef. Just as the Pharaoh who knew Yosef put his lot into the one who was leading Yosef, the God of Israel, the God of Yosef. So Rahab also put her lot in. So hopefully we see that in this, um, as Paul calls it, this ministry of reconciliation that we've been given of Yeshua the Messiah, that we see this ministry of reconciliation that these 12 were sent into the lost sheep of Israel within Israel proper. But even into as, you know, as Paul says in the rites and the first chapters of Romans, that not all people who claim to be of Israel are of Israel. They may wear the badge, but they don't know really know the one, the holy one of Israel. They are like a shell. So one of the things that we've seen in Israel's history is, is that Once that shell, which is supposed to be the ambassadors of God,
1: once that shell is empty, you see it, the glory has departed.
0: That glory is gone. Otherwise known as the abomination of desolation. And you see the similar pattern that goes on with the abomination of desolation. Is when the hearts of the people depart from the dwelling place of God,
1: the, d- the structure building where the dwelling place of God is supposed to be. What happens to that? Destroyed. So, one of the things
0: we can see, hopefully, throughout all this is a consistent message that, that comes down. And we as the body of Messiah, as Paul calls it, ambassadors of the Messiah,
1: out into the world, we are carrying this legacy
0: on with us. What God has done in our lives, and what the kingdom of God can do in the world around us. And part of that ministry of reconciliation is that we are reconcilers, or as it's put in the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, peacemakers.
1: Happy are the peacemakers. So we make peace
0: with our people around us and our families, and in a sense, uh, have a role in heaven's peacemaking on earth. But we know that there is a stiff opposition of the of the evil one the adversary against that peacemaking he wants to blow up the peace treaty and we see just like with um, personal relationships that when people don't want to reconcile they might fight harder and harder and harder against the peacemaking and thus that's what we see both in history recorded in scripture and in prophecy of what is going to come in the day of the lord so you see the the same patterns go on so you see the patterns of heaven on how heaven is looking to fix the situation and you also see the patterns of opposition to heaven's peacemaking so any uh last thoughts as we close things out here
1: all right We'll
0: close things out with prayer. Father God, we thank you and praise you for giving us the witnesses over such a long period of time. And Father, we just ask that you continue to change our hearts, that we can can be your ambassadors in a world that desperately needs to know the true you. Father, we thank you for reconciling us to yourself through the blood of your Son, Yeshua. And Father, we just ask that you continue to mold us to be your reconcilers in the world around us. We thank you for all these things in the name of your Son, Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O Hallel dot info.